VI Shots episode number 38. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of VI Shots. My name is Michael Ivaliotis and this is the show devoted to the world of LabVIEW. With each episode, I bring you interviews, discussions, and share with you ideas on software engineering with LabVIEW. Well, thank you all again for joining me on this episode of VI Shots. I'm your host, Michael Ivaliotis. Uh, today, I bring you uh, a recording I did last week uh, with three uh, LabVIEW consultants. And this is part of our new um, new initiative that uh, Jack Dunaway and I have uh, embarked on, which is doing VI Shots Live. And this is a, a live show that we record once a month. And it's uh, interviews uh, with people uh, live using Google Hangouts. And uh, we take questions from the audience at the same time. If you want to check out uh, what VI Shots Live episodes are coming up, you can go to vishots.com slash live and also subscribe to our uh, VI Shots mailing list to get notified when the next one's coming up. You can go to vishots.com slash subscribe. Now, we've been having some technical issues with Google Hangouts, uh, but we're plowing through and continuing to use it. And every time we use it, we get better at it. In this recording, we had some technical difficulties, well, due to me, it wasn't anything to do with Google Hangouts. Uh, my computer uh, just crashed. It just rebooted by itself. So uh, what happened was there's a section in the recording which is totally missing, and that's the part where uh, Jack introduces our guests. So I'll mention briefly uh, who our guests are and a little bit about their background. And then after I finish that, uh, I'll play the original uh, recording. So our three guests uh, that we had on the show were Dave Thompson, Neil Pate, and Steen Schmidt. Uh, Dave Thompson is based in Colorado in the U.S. and is the founder and a system integrator at Original Code Consulting. Uh, of course, it's, uh, he provides LabVIEW programming, system integration for all kinds of systems. Dave is also a LabVIEW champion since 2005. Uh, Dave also runs a user group meeting in Colorado called the Advanced LabVIEW Architects of the Rocky Mountains, uh, ALARM for short. And Dave is uh, recently, within the, last, within the last six to eight months, uh, just started consulting and going out on his own. So he has a, uh, a fresh perspective on things. Neil Pate, uh, on the other hand, has been uh, doing LabVIEW consulting for a very long time, six to eight years, and he's based out of the UK. He's a founder and systems development engineer at Premier G Solutions, and he is also a certified LabVIEW architect and a certified professional instructor. And finally, Steen Schmidt is the founder at uh, G Power in Denmark. Uh, Steen is also a certified LabVIEW architect, uh, but also a certified test stand architect. And Steen was recently nominated as LabVIEW champion, um, actually just this month. So we congratulate Steen on that. G Power started about a year ago, and uh, as you'll see in the show, he talks a little bit about his experience of creating his own products as well. Now, before I get into playing the recording, if you want to get a hold of any of these consultants uh, or contact them, you can send an email to feedback 
at vishots.com and I will forward your message uh, to them as well as their contact info is available on the uh, show notes page. If you go to vishots.com slash 38, you'll be able to get their contact information there as well. And now let's listen to the LiveView Consulting panel discussion on VI Shots Live. Uh, so yeah, that's a brief intro to our three panelists. A lot of uh, you know, a wide variety of experience. Uh, likewise, I can say just a brief intro about what type of consulting I do. Uh, so Wirebird Labs is solely a uh, product development company. Um, but on the side, uh, what I do is just enough consulting uh, just to make sure that the products company has this uh, safety net un under which uh, you're not necessarily having to make product decisions or business decisions uh, just based on trying to maximize revenue. Uh, so the amount of consulting that I do on the side is uh, very small. However, that is one uh, important part of keeping a products business going uh, just as an independent consultant. Um, so one uh, thing that I'll mention uh, to the audience is as we're talking, uh, feel free to type questions uh, into the chat window. It looks like we've uh, got a peep, uh, couple of people already typing over here. Uh, one, uh, Thomas asked, uh, I would like to ask, is this being recorded and w will we have access to it later? The answer is absolutely. Uh, this is recorded later and you can always get all of the previous shows. Uh, at vishots.com uh, slash live. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's recorded for later. Uh, so Michael, uh, tell you what, if, if you want to go ahead and get started, uh, we, we've got a couple of questions uh, that, that we'd like to start with, uh, just asking the panel. Um, and then as, uh, as we talk through some of these prepared questions, we'll also gather some questions in the chat window over here, and we can answer uh, all of the audience questions live uh, later on the, in the show. Uh, but yeah, Michael, uh, you want to go ahead and get started on some of this discussion? Yeah, and I apologize for disappearing for a few seconds. Um, my computer crashed. And uh, <laughs> had to reboot. Uh, uh, we're not going to get into the Apple versus Mac, uh, the Apple versus uh, <laughs> Windows debate because I have a Mac and it still crashed. So there you go. Um, yeah, yeah. So, sometimes it is Apple versus Mac, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's versus itself. Um, so a lot of uh, the consultants here, at some point, I guess all of you, at some point, were working for. Um, you know, some company working for an employer. Uh, uh, maybe some of you happy, maybe not so happy, but uh, uh, there was one point that you decided to change. And instead of being an employer working for someone, decide to uh, go independent and doing this on your own. And we'd like to kind of find out, you know, what was that motivation and what was that thing that made you want to go on your own? Let's start with, let's say, Dave. Well, um, in my case, that's kind of a loaded question. I, I'm afraid I won't get into the details, but let's just say, um, uh, I, I really enjoyed my full-time jobs, both of them that, that I've had over the years. Uh, but uh, in, in the last instance, um, the job situation was really stressful, and I just needed a change from that. So, you know, this consulting thing, as Jack pointed out, you know, I've, I've been doing it since 97 on, on the side and, and so, slowly building it. And I felt that it was uh, uh, worth the risk trying to, trying to make that full-time, and I'm, I'm really enjoying that now. So uh, it was kind of a lifestyle change. Okay, uh, Neil? 
Okay, yeah, so so I was uh, in permanent employment. So I was actually a, an engineer at a Formula One team uh, and uh, loving it to bits. Uh, but then this consultancy gig just kind of fell in my lap a bit. Uh, I fired up an old email account one day and found a fresh email saying, do you want to give this a shot? And I thought, you know what, it's, it sounds like such a great opportunity. Um, one of the problems I found with permanent employment is once you've kind of mastered your, your local you know, sets of tasks that you need to do, there's not that many new things you can learn sometimes. Whereas consultancy, every project, you've got to be on your A-game all the time. You're learning new skills constantly. And, uh, and that challenge just really, really um, excited me. So, so that was pretty much why I took it. And it, it paid a bit better as well. And uh, so basically it was, it was a, a someone or another, a customer or someone that just uh, contacted you and got you into the dark side, so to speak. Yeah, pretty much. It was just one of the, uh, one of the alliance members in the UK, um, Calbay Systems, uh, were just kind of growing, uh, starting up from scratch, really. And um, I think they found my email address something on one of the forums, and um, somehow it just, it just grew from that. And I haven't really looked back since. And Steam? Yes, well, uh, just see if I'm unmuted, yes. Um, uh, well, I was, as I told uh, earlier, uh, worked with uh, SIM Industrial Systems, one of the uh, or the largest alliance partner, in our alliance partner in Denmark. Um, uh, but when I started uh, at that company, um, there were a few developers only, and, and that company was what you could call in, in accelerated growth or uh, yeah, it was a very um, interesting and uh, environment where we, uh, everybody was encouraging each other to uh, to grow professionally and so on. Um, along the way, the company grew, and uh, you know, then then such companies turn into more sustainability instead, um, and that means some of the possibilities for people who are. Uh, always trying to 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 find new pathways to do stuff and better ways to do stuff and uh, actually grow professionally. Uh, that gets harder. So just for my mindset, that didn't work anymore. I needed somewhere else where I could grow more, uh, try some new uh, new ideas out, and then uh, keep on growing professionally, be be better, and uh, learn more and and stuff like that. Uh, I couldn't do that at Sim anymore. Uh, that became just, you know, a job. Uh, so um, I needed to do something else. Um, and the only way, when I looked around, I was already uh, employed at the at the at the biggest uh, NI Alliance partner. So there wasn't really m <laughs> many places to go, uh, short of moving to the states, maybe. But uh, hmm. uh, that, that can't uh, that can't be done right now for me. So um, I had to start on my own. Uh, so do, that, you, uh, do you find yeah. do you find now that uh, you're on your own do you have more control of your time uh, or uh, in other words um, do you have more time to do what you want <laughs> well <laughs> um, it takes a lot of time to uh, to start a, a business and um, yeah the first I don't know at least the first year and a half or two years if you if you look at Jack at least so uh, Probably the first couple of years. I don't know when it stops, but the first years are hard. Uh, so answering you with, uh, yeah, I have a lot more time to do what I want. Mm, sure, but uh, <laughs> but I work maybe 80 hours a week. So uh, that's that's how I get that time. 
uh, but we do that and and then uh, you know i have firm goals and i have ways to to achieve them and uh, i'll do that so uh, yes we will uh, we will do what it, uh, what is necessary but it takes a lot more time than than before so uh, your ex- your expectations, not just you, but for the other guests as well, your expectations getting into it um, were probably a little different than, than what they actually are. Is that correct to say? Yeah, I can, I can even answer that. Um, th- the expectations are vastly different than what I expected. I, I thought that it would be much more like uh, working for existing companies where you essentially work eight hours doing engineering in a day simply because engineering is my background. And what you find out is when you get into consulting and then uh, also just owning your own business, uh, the ad- administration, the um, the business development, the customer development also, uh, that takes far more time than you would necessarily uh, necessarily expect. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, I, I personally was a little bit surprised uh, based on starting my own business. Was anyone else surprised at the things that they were having to do? Yeah, yeah I think you, you spend a lot more time doing, doing administrative tasks than you'd like to. Uh, that's uh, an unfortunate side effect of it. Yeah, and that's not to say it's negative. I love, like, I love this new aspect. Uh, like Steen was saying earlier, one of his motivations was to grow professionally. And one thing that I realized, growing this engineering skill set, uh, I was missing out on other things that could complement each other. Uh, so even though it is admin and biz dev and things like that, uh, those are skill sets that definitely um, work with the engineering also. Yeah, I, I suppose, I'm, guys, I'm kind of a bit different to you then in that I haven't really tried to, to grow my business at all. Um, you know, since 2007, it's just been me, and the plan was always just to be me for now. Um, so the, the kind of the, the work was coming in through external sources, and I was just effectively a consultant rather than a business running a consultancy service. Um, so I didn't necessarily have the pressures of trying to trying to create a brand or trying to grow my business, which which I imagine would add a, a whole heap of stress to the equation. That that actually brings up a really good uh, conversation about motivations, uh, like what your motivations are and what your aspirations are. Like why do you want to become an independent consultant uh, or a consultant at all? Uh, and Neil, I think what I just heard you say is uh, you weren't necessarily interested in growing the business you were interested in a sustainable uh basically a sustainable career for yourself is is that right you're not necessarily looking to uh grow into a big business yeah pretty much i mean that's uh, that that was always always the plan uh, just because uh, i think the, the it's a completely different side of of things which i never really considered you know initially i was just going to be the the lab you guy i wanted to be the the lab you guru, so to speak, and um, you know, just do as much as I could personally, and not worry too much about being the next Google or or <laughs> or JKI or whatever. You know, it was just going to be me on my own, uh, and that was always my intention from the start. Um, and I think that's probably going to carry on like that for the next few years. It's just. Uh, Maybe a little bit easier. (laughs) So I can toss this out to the panel generally. Uh, Your motivations for starting, uh, how have those changed, uh, you know, since since you've been on your own or uh, or are they the same? I guess I. Yeah. Well, uh, my 
uh, my motivation uh, is the same, but how I will achieve that uh, has changed a lot because uh, actually I thought I could do some of the same as Neil, um, but still uh, get my products developed. Uh, all those ideas I have, uh, you know, then I would, uh, would just buy some help. Uh, some other consultants. I know some good ones here in Denmark. <laughs> um, but it turned out it, it couldn't really work that way. Um, uh, it wasn't looked too well upon when I started on myself. Um, so um, it has been uh, it has been tough work for me. So um, it turned out that uh, if I wanted something done <laughs> for my own uh, for my own sake. I needed to do it myself. So suddenly, uh, I wasn't uh, just a, a freelancer that had some ideas that I could uh, get implemented, uh, get help to get implemented by someone else. Um, I needed to uh, to grow uh, and and to employ some people and to basically make a uh, R and D department. And uh, so that takes some work. Uh, so that's a very different uh, thing from what I thought. When I started, but uh, but now my goals are different from when I started. My goals now is to grow G Power into a uh, a, a big company um, to um, to get these these products developed and uh, probably uh, hopefully help getting uh, LabVIEW into some more corners than it uh, than it is already at. So um, so for me, it has changed a lot. Yeah, in in that. Uh... And I've, I've found once you start consulting to be really honest with yourself about what your motivations are. Uh, like if you've said your your motivations are to grow the business, then you're going to go at consulting very differently than, say, Neil is going to go at consulting. Uh, mm. It's important to answer some of these questions of what all of these orthogonal parameters do you want to optimize? Do you want to have a lot of customers? Do you want to have a lot of fame? Uh, or do you want to have a lot of time with your family? You know, do you want to start work at uh, 9.30 a.m. and take off at 3.30 p.m. and uh, have four-day weekends every week? Uh, th- those are all very, uh, all very legitimate end goals. However, they're going to vastly affect the way uh, that you go about trying to uh, build your own business, what, whatever it is that you're trying to optimize. So uh, uh, what do you think, Dave? A uh, question for you. Um, does it take a certain personality trait or uh, uh, just a character quality? <laughs> Thoughts on that? Um, you know, I, I'm sure at some level the, the answer is yes. I think, however, that uh, you know, if you're lucky, your your personality traits are what you leverage. So I don't know that there's one specific personality trait that's that's absolutely required. But I think you can work to uh, work to your strengths. So, um, you know, being a, a consultant uh, uh, and running your own business, there's, there's a lot of uh, uh, requirements just to be able to do that. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, ha- having the kind of personality that can interact with, with uh, a, a wide variety of people and just basically get along with the client, uh, I think, is, is probably um, one of the key things and, and, and one of the things that I, you know, hopefully aim for as well. How about Neil? What's helped you? Uh, I think um, the, the biggest difference for me from permanent employment to consultancy is uh, the need to be, uh, you know, persistent or persevere much more because often it's just you doing the job. There's no one else you know, who can help you. A lot of the time you've got the weight of five different projects and you're the only guy on the planet 
at that particular point in time who can who can solve that problem. Um, so you've got to be able to deal with stress uh, quite well, and multiple stress levels hitting you at the same time quite often. Um, so you need to be that that kind of person who can who can kind of multitask things and deal with that, and also you know be prepared to shoulder the burden for, for an awful lot of things, uh, and just really get on with it and and just work till things are done until you've sorted it out. Yeah. Uh, I, I can I can definitely second that. I've heard it called uh, schlep blindness. Schlep uh, meaning you have this long, arduous journey ahead of you, and you must be blind to all of these things that you're going to have to do yourself uh, if, if you want to necessarily su- succeed. Because if you get caught up in the schlep, you're not necessarily going to fail, uh, not necessarily going to succeed. Um so, so yeah, is there is there at one point where you? Uh, I'm just curious that myself is at one point do you just put off a lot of the things that um, are administrative or things that you don't want to do to other people, or do you outsource, or do you you know hire temporary workers, or you know is there is there at some point where you decide okay well. I love doing this part of the job, but I don't like doing that, so I'm going to offload that to someone else. Has anyone done that or has reached that point? I haven't crossed that uh, threshold yet. Uh, so far, I don't know, maybe there's just not any particular aspects that I, I uh, can't stand, per se. You know, the, the different business things that you have to do, I, I'm, you know, those those interest me to some level. So. I, I can't say that I've uh, hit that point where I've, I've pushed anything off or hired anybody else to do that. Neil? Yeah, I, mean, I suppose the only thing is uh, is, is the finances, getting a, a real accountant to do, to do the books. Because if you try and do that yourself, you're going to end up owing the tax man probably far more than you should. So that's the one task that I pretty much offloaded straight away. Um, because here in the UK, there's some special kind of rules about consulting especially if you're working for another company, but as a consultant, you're quite often deemed to be an employee, and then you get taxed as though you were an employee rather than um, a company. So there's, you know, you need to you need to know what you're getting into, and it's best to, to seek you know, the guys who, who have expertise is, is that, uh, and that's not something you'll know straight away. So I, I would recommend people looking into that. Yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good bit of advice. An accountant and then also a lawyer; those are two things that you should very strongly consider, uh, just to ensure that all of your finances and legally all of your contracts are as they need to be. Um, so that's something that I'd say independent consultants definitely need to at least consider. Uh, you don't necessarily have to have one if you want to do it all yourself. However, uh, that should be a conscious decision that you are foregoing a, uh, an accountant and a lawyer. And uh, another thing, as we're talking about this, of course, we've got to say that we are definitely not on this show offering financial or legal advice to you. So don't uh, take what you hear and go uh, try to create a business off of it necessarily. Yeah, I have a question, a question for Steen. Um so kind of following the same line of, you know, offloading things, it sounded like you uh, you tried to get other people to help you in, you know, developing some tools, but you didn't find anybody. Um, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Is that part of, you know, sure. do it, focusing on things and offloading to others? Is that part of that or what was that for? Uh, not really. It was uh, actually, I started out... Um, 
actually trying to to uh, to build to build up a, a tank where which I could uh, pay some other consultants to to help me develop my my own products. Um, but I didn't really go as far as to to seek out those consultants because I. Um, I, I, I pretty uh, quickly discovered how uh, how that business uh, or how that endeavor would end. So I, I never tried it. So I just realized that okay, this isn't really a path I can I can walk on. I'm a, I'm a competitor to these people. Uh, so no, uh, I cannot buy their their services. Um, so I need to be competitive instead. So, but. Uh, on a personal level, I'm more uh, a collaborative guy. I want to work together with with all those people. So, hopefully, when they um, when they get more used to to G Power being around, you know, in in, in Denmark, yeah, the, the the NI business, if you could call it that, has has been pretty static over the last many years. So it's probably quite a shock. I can I can uh, I can feel that on. On, on uh, some of the existing partners here, um, to to have a new new guy in town. So especially uh, someone like me who uh, was already known and uh, who uh, yeah. So it has it has uh, it, it, no. I, I never tried you know to engage those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I realized that I had to employ them instead. You um, mentioned you mentioned. Uh the co- the collaboration um, yeah. which you're really interested in and that kind of leads to another question is um, now that you all of you are on your own and how do you keep up sort of the collaboration side and sort of improving your skills and interfacing with others and kind of learning since maybe perhaps you came from an environment where you had other developers you know sitting next to you in a cubicle and now you don't um, so Dave how, let's take you for example yeah, that's a good question. Um, one thing uh, you know is is we have a local uh, advanced uh, users group, and so you know, that that helps keep uh, connected with other uh, LabVIEW people. But you know, also coming from uh, two previous jobs, I've got uh, contacts that I maintain with uh, people in both those those places. Um, so, but you know, on, on a day to day basis, uh, you know, I pretty much do work alone and. Uh, my projects, I'm I'm the only guy on them. So uh, at that level, it's really you know there's web resources and you know I, I, once a once just about once a day or a couple of times a week at least you know I'm I'm reading some article on the NI website or on VI shops or whatever it is you know. Thanks for the plug, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Neil. Yeah, so kind of like like Dave. I mean, my my career has always been I've been the only guy in the company who knew anything about LabVIEW. So there was no one else to go to. So from from very early on, you know, in 2004, when I first started to to learn LabVIEW, I pretty much just lurked on on NI forums and read every single post and just kind of lapped it up. And that's how I learned LabVIEW by 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 reading the forum. Um, and uh, and these days, I do have a few more colleagues at some of the other alliance partners. But I'd say my primary resource for learning is probably Lava, the Lava G uh, website, because um, you know, the guys who hang out there are just, they know so much and there's just, you can, you know, if you, you can pick up on threads and just sit there reading it and you'll, you'll learn, you know, new techniques and lab your things that you just didn't know were possible. Uh, and even you can, you know, over time start to contribute yourself or to, to really help others. Uh, and I'd say that's probably my primary, primary learning resource. Thanks. Thanks yeah. again. Thanks again for the plug. 
I <laughs> for lava. <laughs> yeah, I can agree. Uh, Neil, that's how you and I met is on lava. By the time we actually met in person at the CLA summit uh, last year in um, where was it pa- uh, Paris? Uh, I I felt like I knew you, you know, uh, just because that is the virtual water cooler that I likewise hang out at uh, lava. Uh, lots of community, lots of great community over on lava. Steam. <laughs> Yeah, I, um, well, I, I, I basically do the same as I have always done. Um, the usual position for me in, in, here in Denmark has always been to, or at least the latter maybe four or five years, has been to, to learn from me uh, instead of uh, gathering new information and new techniques from others here. Uh, also one of the reasons uh, which I wanted to change, uh, yeah. Uh, atmosphere. Um, so, um, so I do what I, what I usually do. I um, uh, discuss problems with uh, with in our R and D. Um, uh, attend the CLA summits, uh, advanced lab user group meetings, perhaps. Uh, uh, yeah, lava and uh, some of the NI discussion forums. Um, and then I just use LabVIEW a lot, uh, <laughs> find out stuff that maybe it does not work as I expected, and, uh, you know, chase that to the end to find out what's what's wrong with me <laughs> or what may be wrong with, with LabVIEW. Um, and uh, uh, that's that's also one of the reasons that I spend so much time on this, is because when, when I find out that, you know, a... Uh, U64 does not uh, do not uh, convert uh, truly into an extended precision uh, float, for instance. Uh, then I want to find out what it is, and you know, hundred hours later, it, it was a broken lab view. So um, stuff like that. So no, I, I I use a lot of online online things, and uh, and then we of course meet uh, with uh, with some other guys uh, also here in Denmark, but. Um, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, it LabVie, sounds good. So. LabVIEW's never broken, right? It's perfect. <laughs> yeah. There, there are no no issues with LabVIEW. When you no, said that, I was I was thinking blasphemy. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I I think I think we're about halfway through the show. Let's go ahead and start taking uh, some audience questions. So it looks like one of the top uh, questions right now is uh, this was from Steve Watts. Steve asked. Don't you find that hourly paid consulting interferes with the business of building a business? In other words, if you are working hourly uh, paid with customers, how do you service existing customers or find new customers? Maybe we can start with Neil on that. Yeah, I, I agree completely, which is why I, I just try not to do it. You know, um, my, my goal <laughs> is kind of, um, to have enough work for myself. And uh, and that's kind of you know where I want to be at, um, and with word of mouth and just through doing good work, you'll find you generally have more leads coming in than you can service anyway. Um, so I find that's not not too much of a problem. You know, I don't have to spend hours chasing down leads because I generally have people coming to me, um, so I can kind of cherry pick the best ones uh, and still do hourly or paid consultancy work. And it's just how how I prefer to operate. And that's a good luxury problem to have when you have so many customers that you don't necessarily even have to worry about. Uh, so you've avoided this question, Steve's question altogether. Uh, a, a function of how long you've been in business, like you've been in business for the past seven years. What was it like the first year? Uh, yeah, so the first year, um, well, I got, as I say, I got 
picked out of permanent employment by an alliance member. And for the first several years, they pretty much provided as much work as I could take on. Um, I had to beg for time off, you know, just to go on holiday and de-stress <laughs> and things like that. Um, so until my reputation kind of built up, I had enough work coming in from from Alliance members. Um, I mean, in the UK, you know, almost seven years ago, things were a bit different. There weren't that many people doing this kind of thing. Uh, so I kind of got in on the one of the first waves of 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 CLA level type type consultants. So maybe I just got in at the right time. So in Dave, it sounds like you may be in sort of the same boat in that you have a good steady flow of customers, perhaps. Uh, Steen, you may be in more of the customer acquisition mode. What are your thoughts on uh, customer acquisition versus uh, working <laughs> working with existing customers? Yeah, yeah. Well, Steve is right, of course, uh, but, you know, <laughs> going broke uh, also interferes with business. So um, <laughs> it's... It's it's more of a we have to we have to uh, spend this much time on uh, or I have, I have to spend this most much time on on uh, acquiring new customers and so on. Um, we're working on uh, a tighter relationship with uh, NI, so uh, we could uh, get more of the leads they supply. Of course, working on a more even level with uh, with existing alliance partners here in Denmark, um, but. Apart from that, uh, we have the work we can do right now, but uh, I want to be in surplus of work so I can expand again uh, with with uh, with G Power. Um, so yes, it does interfere. It does interfere, but um, uh, yeah, I have to do it anyways, uh, just to just to keep an in- income to to keep pay, you know, salaries and and so on. You just plow through it because uh, if you don't, uh, then you starve. So I guess you have yeah. to. Yeah. Uh, just exactly. just a, a technical note before we go on to the next question. Uh, Dave, I muted you because there was some noise. If you want to talk, I think you're going to have to unmute yourself because I can't do it for some reason. I don't know why. Um, <laughs> so if you click on the, your, your icon there, there's a menu that you can unmute, um, I believe. Um, so we, there's another question that comes from Jeffrey Habits. Um, it says, do you guys only work on an hourly rate uh, or also do fixed price projects? And if the latter, what would you do when the amount of work is so too much to, to just keep doing alone? Um, that's interesting, uh, you know, hourly versus um, uh, fixed price. Uh, Neil, do you have uh, comments on that? Yeah, I, I do. I suppose um, in my situation, being just a single guy, I can't really take on mammoth projects. Um, and, you know, fixed price is, is so tricky because in order to do it properly so that everyone walks away happy, you need to spend so much time up front agreeing on what you're going to deliver, you know, getting your specification right and, and just being happy. And that process can sometimes take several weeks. Um, and that's, that's you know, it's who's going to pay for that time and all sorts of things. That, that kind of works better in a slightly bigger company where those costs can be covered that way. So I try and I prefer to do just pure hourly consulting work because um, everyone knows up front what they're getting. Um, and I generally find that once you've worked for someone once and they and they understand how you work and they, and they feel they're getting a good deal, uh, they don't really worry too much. They say, if you say it's going to take, you know, five days worth of work, they, they trust your judgment. Because often you can say, well, it's, it's going to take five. And if it takes four, I only have to charge you for four. Uh, it could take six Um most of the time, it doesn't run over. So, but uh, I definitely prefer to work uh, on a on a on a 
time and materials basis just because just being a single guy uh it's just i'm a bit more covered that way yeah oh sorry yeah yeah um we do uh fixed price projects as, as well but only on stuff we know very well um so uh, completely new customers completely new projects uh maybe new uh or untried uh, technologies for us uh we can't do those on fixed price of course so uh, then instead we we offer to do a a, a pre-project a proof of concept maybe or, or something to uh, uncover some of the requirements or specifications um and we do that on an hourly basis and then you know we evaluate uh, along the way to see if we we want to to continue uh, at this path or, or we want to stop um so only fixed price if we really know, uh, you know, this, this we have done before for the same customer maybe. We know this takes 40 hours or stuff like that. So um, then we do that. But it is a huge risk and, and, and uh, it is, it, it works. I think it only works with customers so that you also know uh, well because then if you get into a, into trouble with uh, well we misunderstood this requirement or something has changed uh, you can easier you know discuss that with the customer uh, uh, you know versus if it's a new customer uh, so fixed price projects never works with new customers yeah so. fixed fixed bid really is all about risk it's how much technical risk you think the project might entail uh, but you can also use it to your advantage uh, such that you're mitigating financial risk on the uh, on on your customer because they know upfront that they have a fixed liability that they possibly pay to you your favor as a sales tool if you say uh, it's it's gonna get done uh, and and I can guarantee you it's gonna cost this and exactly this uh, that can actually work to your advantage uh, so so risk on fixed bid is is something that you're certainly going to want to consider uh, the other thing that I consider on fixed bid is um, simply the relative size of the contract to my business for instance as an independent consultant it would be extremely risky to say do a fixed bid that was worth of worth like six to twelve months salary. Uh, however, if you're looking at a week or two weeks salary, that's not uh, that's not too big of a deal because a week or two weeks, 40, 80 hours, even if you go over double, uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully that's not going to happen. You're not out too much. Uh, if you get into a one year fixed bid and it takes you twice as long. Uh, what was your quote earlier, Steen? Uh, going going broke <laughs> impedes business or something like that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so the ratio of the contract uh, size to just your, your capacity, your own financial capacity is one big consideration. Dave, Dave uh, did you have... Uh, oh, sorry. Sorry. I was going to say, yeah, Jack, with, with that, though, I mean, even on small projects, to say like a week or two, you've still got to pad your bid sufficiently that it often ends up looking a bit silly perhaps you know especially if someone knows the nature of the task and you've had to add 50 percent on just for contingency and you you know you're looking at each other in the eye and you both know what's happened um but you can't actually talk about it up, up front um so it's just a, it's one of those things you've got, just got to be so so careful about 
Yeah, there's one other pricing structure right in the middle of those, which is uh, day rates or weekly rates rather than maybe just hourly rate. And uh, you could do it on a retainer, say, let's let's do a 40-hour retainer. And then that way it has both the concept of the T&M and some of the fixed bid. Uh, so there are other flexible pricing structures that you can use. Yeah, actually, um, I've, I've hardly done any uh, fixed bids, at, but uh, I work with a lot of uh, research customers where um, they can't even specify, you know, the, the, the specifications up front. So they understand uh, right off the bat that it's a, a much more flexible situation. But um, in, in the cases where it's more of an industrial customer where uh, they, they want to be able to budget uh, similar to a fixed price bid, uh, I don't know how common this is. I'd be interested in if, if it's just uh, uh, terribly uh, known or, or, or anybody else uses it. But what I uh, often do is put in a bid with a you know, minimum and a maximum price and then an estimate somewhere in the middle of what I think it's going to cost. And then a clause that says, you know, I'm not going to bill you over the max unless we both agree that, you know, unforeseen circumstances, uh, uh, requirements, changes and that kind of thing. So um, we have another question, and this is uh, getting into more technical stuff, which is kind of cool. Um, so as independent consultants, you guys probably have, in order to be able to develop faster, um, uh, well, in, well, I guess if you're hourly, you might not care too much about faster, but uh, it's, uh, but also, you know, more efficiently. Um, the question is, uh, what the evolution of uh, project frameworks uh, from the early days to present, and how, as their knowledge of LabVIEW software engineering increased this, enabled them to create more flexible and powerful frameworks. Uh, it was cut off there. Um, but this question is from Mike Sachs. And um, maybe you guys can talk about, uh, have you developed frameworks yourselves to help you develop these projects? Um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, certainly for me, I mean... Um I think to develop a new framework every couple of years as the latest thing in LabVIEW becomes, you know, available. So certainly on a, on a project, I've already got maybe a month's worth of work that I can just drop down and be up and running with 75% uh, of common tasks, you know, logging, error error handling, you know, GUI stuff with subpanels, all sorts of things like that, which which you just wouldn't want to code up every time. Uh, and that's that's... You know, each little modification can then be carried forward to the next project. So your framework evolves over time, which uh, makes maintenance a bit of a pain sometimes. But um, it's certainly a lifesaver. I couldn't live live without it, um, without kind of my own little framework and box of tools, box of VIs that I just keep with me at all times. Uh, I certainly think that's that's one of the the, the nicest things is to have that uh, available to you. Asking. Um, well, um, it's it's actually quite interesting because uh, we run into this uh, at a lot of customers uh, where, well, can you if you bring something, some some toolbox with you uh, to this project, can you uh, develop on that and maybe take that with you again uh, because you brought something to the table and you can take something with you again. Um, I would like, I would like to like to ask some of you if uh, how you experienced that. Uh, with your customers, but um, not to derail the question, because uh, uh, something like, you know, if we develop frameworks, um, uh, how they evolve over time, it depends a lot, you know, if uh, if um, 
if I have been involved with developing the framework from the start, then, and it wasn't some proof of concept that just got deployed instead, um, then those frameworks tend to develop in a good way. Um, and you can also see in those, you know, the development in, in, in myself as developer, how I thought, you know, in 2008, and how I think now, it's not the same. <laughs> so, uh, so such frameworks uh, also develop, but um, I tend to use a lot of different techniques uh, when programming applications, more, uh, more like design patterns, maybe, uh, instead of thinking of stuff as a framework, because I have a hard time defining what, what I need to, to start out with. Uh, you know, and that just uh, build on top of that to make the application uh, because all the requirements are so different. All the assumptions in the application and, and, you know, in data in and out and the users and the deployment environment, those are so different. So usually small pieces of the, of the entire system, the, the, the entire application, if you can say that, uh, will, will consist of, of many different types of applications. One works, you know, uh, like a factory making something, and, and uh, another piece is, uh, is, is something that, that needs to have, have a lot of contributors uh, that needs to communicate with each other. It's more like maybe a, a visitor pattern. Um, and stuff like that is, is quite difficult to bring with you to another very different application other than the, uh, the concepts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can share my favorite definition of framework. This is from a blog called uh, Programming is Terrible, which is a fantastic blog uh, for software engineers. Uh, but he defines framework as a product with the business logic removed, but all the assumptions left in. So, of course, that's a, uh, uh, that's a pessimistic view of what frameworks are. Uh, but what, what I've done personally in this... Uh, this is something that I'm actually very excited about, is trying to open source a lot of the things that I create. And then that way, additional developers uh, can also work with you, uh, collaborate with you. And you could then leverage uh, the the mind share of additional developers around the world uh, to get business value for your own customers. Uh, so that's uh, personally what I do is I'm, I'm in a big process right now things that I would consider uh, framework type software, middleware type software uh, that's not that should not be part of the application code base itself. I have um, something that Steen touched upon and which is an excellent question and maybe we can talk a little bit more about that. Um, maybe Neil you can answer because you have a little bit more experience is so yeah you have your own tools and you bring them to a project or to a customer. Um, how, how do you manage that? Do you sell them the tool? Do you just give it away? Um, like how do do you keep your intellectual property and and those kind of questions? Um, Neil, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, sure. sure. So there's a, there's so many bits to that. Uh, first of all, um, I don't really try and sell it. I I more use my tools to my advantage. I say, well, I can get the job done quicker because I've got this month's worth of programming that I can bring and pretty much within a day or two tweak to get quite close to what it is the customer is asking for. You know, quite often someone has an idea what they want to do. It's not, in not everything we do is cutting edge. You know, quite a bit of the projects are, I would say bread and butter, but, um, you know, reasonably doable for a competent library programmer. So if you can use this as a bargaining tool, say, well, if I'm allowed to use my own framework, I don't have to create everything from scratch. And it's all debugged and tested over several years. And you can pretty much have it for free 
uh, if you if you pick me to do your job. Um, and then the kind of the assumption is very often I just give them the code because they're not into LabVIEW. They, they do something else. LabVIEW is just a tool for them. They have no business in, in really my code. They just want it maybe for curiosity. Uh, if they choose to give it to someone else, you know what? None of my code is, you know, top secret. Uh, if, if, you, if you searched on Lava or whatever, you could all put it together and make up your own framework. So I don't really mind if people see my code. In fact, if they see it and they see my name in it, they may think, hell, this is... This is reasonable code. I, this guy seems to know what he's on about. So it's perhaps more marketing for me or more publicity. So I don't really mind. Um, I don't try and sell it. Uh, I, at one point, I did think about packaging it up and putting it on um, on the tools network as a product. Uh, and I must have started that process a couple of times, but it was just such hard work. I eventually I said, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be able to maintain this. And And then people started doing it themselves. So I figured, you know what, I'll just I'll just keep it for myself, and uh, to give me a competitive advantage when I'm bidding for projects. Yeah, and even even if you are giving it away for zero dollars, or uh, in your case, I guess zero euros or pounds, um, it it's good just as a quoting and invoicing strategy to go ahead and write that as a line item on the invoice. Uh, because it shows that you are uh, providing additional value, even even if that does cost zero dollars. Uh, so the perceived value of the service is higher, um, and, and that's not to mislead. It's simply to show uh, this this is indeed valuable. Another uh, quoting and invoicing strategy also is to go ahead and slap a number on that uh, on your original quote uh, with however many hours you're also putting within this quote and uh, what that allows you to have some room for negotiation because if the only number on your quote is uh, hours in your rate or if those are the two only numbers those are the only two things that you can negotiate on the size and scope of the project is probably not necessarily changing uh, they're going to ask you to either pick a lowerly uh, a lower hourly rate, or they're going to say, hey, could you just get it done faster? Uh, so if you start off uh, with this quote on these additional items with a non-zero price tag on it, you could say, well, you know, I like you so much that I'll give this to, you know, I could throw this in, but we'll keep the same hourly rate uh, in the same um you know the same bid size, uh, and and again, that's that's to manage uh, perceived value, because even though you may be an independent consultant, you know you you still have to uh, run the business business forward. Uh, so so having only one negotiation rate, you know, uh, or one negotiation. Uh, vector, and that is your hourly rate. If that's your only negotiation vector, it's it's a race to the bottom, and and you're just going to charge lower and lower. So uh, we're approaching the end uh, of our of our session, and um, I'd like to get some some closing comments from our guests. Um, we have a lot lot more questions. Unfortunately, we weren't able to get through all of them. Uh, which indicates that this is basically a big topic that uh, requires a lot more discussion, <laughs> which I'm, I'm sure we'll be discussing at CLA summits and at iWeek and all these other places that we that we all gather. Um, some closing comments, starting from from Dave, I guess. Uh, for for those that uh, you know are probably thinking of getting into consulting or being independent, uh, some advice or, or or you know tips for those kind of people. Oh gosh. Um, 
I don't know. In in, in my case, uh, it's always a, a question of mitigating risk, uh, finding uh, a baseline of customers, and I was able to do that by ramping up basically over 16 years. Um, so that's that's uh, how I approach that. The, the biggest area of risk for me. Uh, another uh, quick comment, I guess, uh, a piece of advice would go back to the previous discussion on uh, uh, reusing code in customers' projects. Is is that I've got a little IP clause. It, I, I don't really want to share it because it's not lawyer proof. But uh, you know, every proposal or contract I put out there, there's a little clause in there about uh, you know, if I'm going to use my stuff coming in here, then I'm going to be able to take it with me when I go out to the next place. Jack. So uh, tips on how to get started? <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, that would be cool. <laughs> I would, okay. So I, uh, what, one thing that you can do is go to uh, vishots.com slash live. Uh, I think we're going to put a form on there that would allow you to get in touch directly. And if you send an email uh, to us through that, we can actually put you in touch with individuals, uh, both in the community, uh, like our panel today, uh, but also to individuals within NI who are, it is their job to help independent consultants get up and started and actually help them try to find some initial customers. Uh, so I would say really the most valuable thing, the most valuable tip you can have starting up is just ensure that you're talking to people before you jump. Uh, more than anything, what you need to do is examine your motivations and make sure that uh, wherever it is you're jumping, you're going to be able to achieve those motivations and desi uh, desires. Neil? Okay, yeah, so I suppose uh, I'm a, a bit of a natural risk taker. So uh, <laughs> when, I, when I first started consulting, I, had, uh, I wasn't married, I had no mortgage, um, there was very little I could lose. You know, sure, I stepped away from a permanent job, but jobs are temporary anyway. So um, I would say if you if you believe in your skills and if you genuinely think, you know, if you're if you're CLD or maybe CLA level or you think you are, it, go for it. What's what's the worst that could happen? Um, and you know, you may find it's just an incredible ride, like I have. So uh, I would say, don't be too cautious. Um, maybe don't quit your day job immediately. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think you need to line up 50 customers before you try, you know, one good solid lead that's got a month worth of work for you. It's probably enough to, to get going. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, if, if, that's, if that sounds like something you're interested in, then, then go for it. The, the world needs more LabVIEW consultants. <laughs> <laughs> Great advice. I love it. Steen? <laughs> Yeah, there's not, not, nothing much to add to, to that, but uh, yes, just just make sure that, um, well, that your network is as wide as you think it is, you know, as Jack said, talk to some people, uh, see if they know you, uh, and then if they do, then uh, yeah, go ahead, it will be great fun, and uh, for, yeah, almost anybody in this business, there will be uh, some day job waiting if it, if it all fails, so uh um yeah definitely in in your number one contact that you should talk to is your spouse first uh make make sure that everything is gonna <laughs> yeah, work mike how about how about you what would you say to get started um i've i've been a consultant in the long past um i'm not a, not anymore um and that's that's a long story there but uh i would say make sure that you're not just running away from something that you're actually running towards something. So mm -hmm. if you're currently working or uh, thinking about it, 
don't think of consulting as, oh, I, I'm running away from my job. And just make sure you have a plan moving forward and that you're actually getting going somewhere, that you're running to something. Um, uh, because a lot of the time people are running away from something and then they realize that they have nowhere to go. <laughs> so uh, make sure you have a plan and, and think of the long term. Um, so with that, I'd like to uh, end this. Um, I'd like to thank all of our guests. Um, thank you, uh, especially Jack Dunaway from Wirebird Labs for co-hosting and helping with the production of the show. Thank you, Jack. Um, I'd also like to thank our guest, Dave Thompson from Original Code Consulting in the U.S., uh, Neil Pate from Premier G Solutions Limited in the United Kingdom. And finally, Steen Schmidt from G Power in Denmark. Uh, if you want to get a hold of any of our guests for, uh, for consulting services, <laughs> um, feel free to send uh, comments to feedback at bishots.com and we'll definitely be able to connect you with these uh, fine consultants. And also, uh, we'll be putting the links to their contact info on our show notes page at vishots.com. Again, if you want to find out when the next vishots.com uh, live show will happen, you can uh, join our mailing list, go to vishots.com slash subscribe, and we send out an email about a week before the show telling people uh, what the topics are and what and when it, the next one is going to be. Um, anything else, Jack, that uh, you want to mention that I forgot, baby? No, sounds great. Uh, looking forward to connecting with everyone next month. Again, thanks, uh, thanks again, everyone, for watching and listening. Um, uh, bye for now.